Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. We are thrilled to have you joining us as we embark on a journey following the life of Christ this year. You can follow along with us in person or online during our Sunday services at 9 and 11, 15 a.m., or you can catch up or revisit our messages right here through our Sermons Podcast and also on YouTube. If you are looking for more information about Christchurch or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. I want to thank Christchurch. I want to thank you. I want to thank all of you who serve or participate in the cafe. The cafe provides food, fun, and fellowship for us all, but every time you, you go there, you're providing an opportunity for a child to have a meal, education, hear the gospel, be discipled, mentoring, on and on and on. So I'd really encourage you today to head out there and make a difference in someone's life. But also, I want to thank you for all that happened this past weekend or weekend before with the youth and the young men and women of our church. You are truly a church that is really investing in this particular generation, in this young people of this time, for such a time as this. And I just think it, we need to bring glory and honor to God by just putting our hands together for him. Praise the Lord for what God's doing. Well, our passage is found in Luke chapter five, verses 17 through 26, and the title of the sermon is Jesus has the authority to forgive and heal you. To forgive you and heal you. But this, this morning, we're gonna do something different at the end of the service. We're gonna give you an opportunity. Anybody who needs prayer, we're gonna give you an opportunity to be prayed for. So if you need prayer, if you're hurting, suffering, if you're fighting some type of disease or your marriage is on the rocks, or you're battling with anxiety or depression or just struggling through a particular sin, whatever it might be, today's your day. We're gonna give you an opportunity to be prayed for. Some of you have never been prayed over your whole life, but we're gonna give you the opportunity to experience the amazing forgiveness and healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the service, I'm gonna ask that for those of you that need prayer, to stay right in the sanctuary, and then we're gonna ask you to come forward. And those of you that do not need prayer today, we're gonna to ask that you just quietly and quickly move out of the service. Right at the, at the end of the last worship song, we'll tell you when, just go ahead and begin to move out of the sanctuary if you don't need prayer. If you need prayer, we're gonna ask that you come forward because we're gonna extend our time of worship together and then we're gonna put into practice what it says in James chapter five, verse 14. It says this, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The healing that's there in this passage is referring to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual healing. In other words, Jesus has come to heal us holistically. We'll talk more about that. But at the end of the service, we're gonna ask that you come forward, we're gonna extend our time of worship, and we're gonna anoint you with oil, simply just putting some oil on your forehead and praying for you. Being obedient 
what the scripture tells us to do. So with that being said, let's pray together, but let's pray with expectation and anticipation of what God is going to do for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and first of all, we think of Ukraine that's already been prayed for. Malachi has already committed that into your hands, but we just come again one more time, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do what only you can do in that land. We ask for shalom, peace. We ask for help, hope, and healing in Jesus' name. We commit it into your hands, and we ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in all of it. We'd also pray that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin and that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me to your people and we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. You wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. And we do take authority over anything and everything that would try to hinder what you're trying to do in this room today. And we would ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven right now in this place and in everyone's life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before we get into the main part of the sermon, let me put our passage in its setting, and then let's look at the situation Jesus finds himself. So we're gonna look at the setting, then the situation. In the beginning of chapter five, Jesus is building his team, and he calls out three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And immediately he calls these men out to become fishers of men. Right after this, a leper comes to him and asks him to heal him. And Jesus immediately, instantaneously, heals that man. Then he says to this healed leper, do not tell anybody what I've done for you. But he doesn't listen to Jesus. And why I say that? Because what it says in verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So the setting, Jesus has called out his disciples, three of them. He's preaching and teaching the word of God and people are being healed. And huge crowds are following after the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the setting and here's the situation Jesus is in. Verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now there's a parallel passage in Mark And it says this, Mark chapter two, verse two. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. In other words, not only were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the house, but there was a huge crowd, so much so, there was no room. They were in there, packed in there like sardines. But then the passage tells us, not only in Luke, but in Mark, that there's not only is the house packed, but there's a crowd outside of the house and everybody's trying to hear what Jesus is saying as he teaches the word. But it's interesting to me that in the passage, it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting. Now, all all of us know that you can get more people in a room if you're standing rather than sitting. So why are these Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting? Well, in that day, it was common for the teacher to sit and the student stand. Today, it's reversed in most cases. The teacher stands and the students, if you will, sit like we're doing right now. So why are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting? Nobody had come to hear them. They weren't teaching. Jesus was. Why are they sitting there? 
because they want to be in a position of authority. They want to appear like they're in control. They want Jesus and everyone present that day to know that they had not come to learn from Jesus. They came to make a decision about Jesus. You see, Jesus had not been trained in their schools. They came from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, from the entire region. You imagine? All the, many Pharisees and teachers came to hear him, to see who Jesus is, and then what are, what are they going to do about him? Why? Because he has huge crowds following after him. Huge. And when they hear about Jesus, they hear that Jesus, when he teaches, he has authority when he teaches, unlike the Pharisees. That really ticks those people off. And he's healing everybody. So they're coming to check him out and they're sitting. Can you see this now? They're in the room. They're sitting on one side of the room. Jesus is sitting on another side of the room. And it's a standoff. If you will, it's a sit-off, all right? I mean, can you see and feel the tension in that room? You could cut it with a knife. And it says in verse 17, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In other words, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 18, some men came carrying a, a paralyzed man on a mat and trying to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Mark tells us that they literally dug a hole in the roof. In other words, they tore open some of the roof and then they lowered the man down. So there's Jesus teaching and all of this is happening while he's teaching the word. Have you ever been distracted during a sermon? Huh? You know, someone gets a cell phone call, a baby starts crying. I mean, you talk about distraction, this is huge distraction. There they are packed in that house. All of a sudden they hear some people walking on top of the roof and some noise up there, and people are looking, did you hear that? And then all of a sudden they hear some pounding and some dust starts, if you will, trickling down from the ceiling on people's heads, and then more dust and more noise, more pounding. And next thing you know, the roof is ripped open. And when the roof is ripped open, all of a sudden all this debris begins to fall down, a beam of sunlight comes into the room, and now no one is paying attention to Jesus. They're all looking up at the roof. And they see this huge hole and now they see a man being dropped down on a mat. And now they're, 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 they're moving around, trying to get out of the way. And then the mat's drop, dropped right in front of Jesus, and there lays the man. And that's the situation that Jesus finds himself in. Let me stop right here and say something about those four men that carried their friend up on that roof and dropped him down. In verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not just the man on the, on the mat's faith, but their faith. In other words, he looked up at the hole too and he could see the four faces looking down at him. We say three things about these guys. These men had confidence, they had compassion, and they had creativity. First of all, they had confidence. They believed that Jesus could help their friend. They believed without a shadow of a doubt that if they could put this man in front of Jesus, Jesus was going to do something amazing for him. They also had compassion on their friend. 
I mean, you don't go to the extremes these guys did if you didn't have compassion, if you didn't love that person. But they had compassion because this man was stuck on a, on a mat. He couldn't go anywhere. So they knew if they could get this man in front of Jesus, Jesus could do something. Now, we don't know if they've been healed. We don't know if they've heard Jesus really teach. They don't know if they've seen Jesus heal. But they know enough about Jesus that they know that if they can get their friend in front of Jesus, he's going to do something for them. And then lastly, they were creative. They were creative. I mean, they were recklessly creative, but they were creative. In other words, they decided that there was nothing that was going to stop them from getting their friend in front of Jesus. No crowd, no roof, no matter what. Matter of fact, they literally demolished the house in order for them to get their friend in front of Jesus Christ. So let me ask us a question today. All of us, including myself. What kind of friend are we? What kind of family member are you? What kind of family member am I? I mean, do we have the confidence in Jesus if we can get our friends or our family in front of Jesus that Jesus is going to do something amazing for them? Do we have the compassion for our family or our friends that no matter what it takes, we're gonna do whatever it takes, we're gonna rip the roof off if that's what we have to do to get our friends, our family in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we creatively praying, asking the Lord to help us understand how we can be creative to get our family and our friends in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, do we have faith like these four men? Well, we've looked at the setting and we've looked at the situation and we've taken some time to look at these four, these four men, but now let's look at the main point of the story. Jesus knew that every eye in the room was looking at him and watching to see what he was going to do with this man on the mat. Every eye in the room and everybody outside looking through the windows. He also knew that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were watching him and critically listening to what he's about to say. So we look at verse 20 and it says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, can you imagine what the four guys are thinking on top of the roof? They're thinking, what did he just say? Doesn't Jesus know that our friend needs to be healed? What's he talking about sin for? And could you hear the ripple through the crowd? What did he say? He said that the man's sins could be forgiven. Well, what's Jesus talking about sins being forgiven? Can't he see that this man needs to be healed? Why is he talking about the forgiveness of sin? The reason Jesus is talking about sin here is because of this. Because Jesus knows, Jesus knows that this man's most visible need is not his greatest need. His greatest need is to be forgiven of sin. If Jesus had healed the man without first forgiving him of his sin, that would have been a temporary fix for an eternal problem. It would be like giving a person who's stranded on a desert and is dying of thirst a glass of water and then leaving. What that person needs is not a glass of water, that person needs a well. And what Jesus understands here is that a forgiven paralytic can go to heaven, but an unforgiven sinner cannot. 
So he takes care of the first problem. The greatest need was forgiveness of sin. And he forgives him. Jesus wanted to do for this man what he'd come to do for us all. He came to die on a cross, be raised again from the dead, so that if anybody calls upon his name, they shall be saved. The purpose why Jesus had come, found in Luke 19.10, says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to be a ransom for us all. Then Jesus, now and then, had all power, has all power, all authority to forgive you of your sin. So we looked at those four men. We looked at the crowd. How did the Pharisees respond? Look at what it says in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Pharisees were right. Only God alone can forgive sin. What they failed to realize is that God in the flesh was standing right in front of them. When Jesus made the claim that he could forgive that man of his sin, he was declaring that he was God. Now make no mistake about it, the Pharisees understood exactly what Jesus was saying because in their minds they called him a blasphemer. So they knew, they understood. And they came to find out who Jesus is and he, and he gave them an answer. He told them what they were looking for. I am God. I am the Messiah. The Pharisees are thinking to themselves though, they're thinking right now, we got him. We were looking for dirt on him. We got the statement. He tried to say that he was God. We're going to crucify him. We are going to bury his ministry. We're going to undermine him with that statement right there. They think. They think. Look what happens in verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Man, if if I was there and Jesus would have said that to me, and I, was, I would have blown my mind. He knows what I'm thinking before I even say it. Who is this guy? He goes on, this, by the way, Jesus knows everything about all of us. Everything. He knows what you do in the light. He knows what you do in the darkness. There is no secrets. Jesus knows it all. He knows everything you've ever done and you're ever gonna do. You cannot escape him. But here's the great truth. Jesus Christ knows everything about you and he went to the cross on your behalf because he loves you. He died on that cross to pay for what you do and to set you free. Don't miss that. The Pharisees, oh, they missed it. But I pray that no one in this room misses that. He did that for you. The Pharisees, man, they're thinking, hey, we got them. But Jesus says, no, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic, paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take up your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, <laughs> took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I believe God wants to do remarkable things today for you. 
At this point, the Pharisees have egg all over their faces. They have been silenced before they can even speak. But we know the story later on, they go after Jesus anyway. But on that day, Jesus made it really clear. Here's the main point. Let them all know it. And they knew it when they left. He said it in verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive you of your sin. Jesus is using the miracle of healing as, his, as he always does to verify his preaching. Talk is cheap. He's saying, what easier is it? Say, say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that. But if somebody can't walk and I say stand up and walk, he walks, all of a sudden you realize, wow, he has authority. So just in case you don't understand this, walk and the man walks. Demonstrates his authority. And he proved to them that he was the Messiah. But they didn't want him. They didn't want him. Let me stop right here. In the statement, in the statement that Jesus says, I'm forgetting, you're forgiven, hear me. All those people in that day were looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward. Had not happened yet. So they saw Jesus as the prophet and a healer. Say that with me. A prophet and a healer. They just discovered that he was the savior. We, however, we look back at the cross and we see Jesus, most of us, as what? The savior. But do we see Jesus today as the healer? Do we have faith like those men that we believe that Jesus can heal in this day? Well, we're gonna give you that opportunity. But let me help you. I'm gonna give you four illustrations out of my own family's life that will help you understand how Jesus heals today from the word. First, most of you have heard the story about my son, Jonathan. He was 16 years old. All of a sudden, he began to spontaneously throw up and nobody could figure out why, but he, th he would just throw up. So we ended up going in and out of the hospital 12 different times in 57 straight days. And the doctors couldn't figure it out. Be honest with you, the Glovers figured it out that he could eat a cheeseburger, but the moment he would drink anything, he would immediately throw up. The doctor said, you know, that's the problem right there. So what they did is they stuck a tube up his nose, down his throat, into his stomach, and we had to give him fluids every night to sustain his life. But I'll never forget when I walked into the doctor's office and the doctors told us that they couldn't do anything more for my son. And Tammy and I walked out of there absolutely overwhelmed. But we got a phone call from our adopted daughter, Amy, and said, won't you come to a healing service that I have at our church every Saturday? And Jonathan, Amy, and, and Tammy went to that healing service and Brenda Gar uh, Barbara Garlington, uh, Bishop Garlington's wife, prayed for my son. After the service, they went to a restaurant and Jonathan had not drunk a water in 57 straight days. He picked up the glass of water on the table, drank the whole thing, drank a gallon of water, pulled out his feeding tube, and God instantaneously healed my son, healed him. That's all been verified. Many of you have seen that, you understand that, you know that. Just like the leper, just like the paralyzed man, he was healed. Second illustration, my wife Tammy, 
about a year ago, her, her knee began to hurt, I mean, really painful, began to swell up. It was a knee that she broke when she was 21 years old in a car accident. So we started taking her to doctors, and doctors were saying, well, we should get a, a knee replacement. Others saying, no, no knee, re- part-time, I mean, a partial knee replacement. We're going to give her shots. They gave her shots. No, no avail. <clears throat> Finally, Tammy's talking to her mother, and they're praying, and her mother bleed, believes in, 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 in healing and said to Tammy, listen, take your knee every day, put it before the Lord, and receive his healing. So every day, Tammy and I, when we would go to bed and sometimes in the morning, we would pray over that knee. And what happened, it began, the swelling began to go down and she had some good days and some bad days. But I can tell you today, she is totally healed. Totally healed. What we learned from this is that God can heal progressively. In other words, day by day, he can bring healing to someone. Third illustration, my son Joshua, he was four years old and he was diagnosed with too much calcium in his urine. And the doctors couldn't figure out what the problem was, but he had stomach aches all the time. He broke, I mean, so many bones. He wasn't growing properly. And then one day when he was about 14, 15 years old through a whole year, he would just be talking to somebody and he'd turn around and he would just throw up. A lot of throw up in the Glover's home. I don't know, just a lot of throw up. So he would throw up. So we finally took him to a doctor and they did a lot of tests on him. And then Tammy put him in the car and drove him home. And, and all of a sudden she got a phone call from the doctor and said, where's your son? And she said, well, he's in the back seat playing Game Boy. Remember Game Boy? And the doctor goes, no, no, no. Bring him to the hospital right now. The calcium levels in his blood are toxic they were at the verge of being lethal. In other words, they were scared that my son was going to die. So we took him back to the hospital. They did all kinds of tests on him and they finally discovered that Joshua had a, parathy- he had a parathyroid tumor. You say that again, a parathyroid tumor. And they wanted to do a dangerous sur- uh, surgery. They wanted to cut him from ear to ear and then there was only a 75% chance of getting the tumor a risk of infection, and eight to, six to eight weeks of recovery. So I went that, that night to the board meeting, asked everybody to pray for my son, and my, one of my board members is a doctor, Billy, Billy Christie, an eye doctor. The next day he goes to his mail, and he finds a magazine, a medical magazine that he gets with a friend of his on the front cover. And that friend was the leading parathyroid surgeon in the world. And his surgery center was in Tampa, Florida. So immediately we got on a plane, flew down there, met the doctor. The doctor took my son into the surgery room. 16 minutes later, he came out with a little scar right underneath his his chin, totally healed, totally healed. What did we learn from this? God brought healing through a man he created and gifted to bring healing to our son. What we learned from all of this is three things so far. That God immediately can heal. He can heal progressively in time. And he uses doctors and nurses that he creates and gifts as his caregivers through medicine to bring healing to us today. But last is my story. Many of you know I have a lot of athletic injuries and I literally live in pain. 
But I have come, like in a service like this that we're creating for you today, I have come forward three different times and three different times the people praying for me got the same verse and would say it to me. The same verse that, G, that God gave the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, God has never healed me. I can't explain to you why God heals some and he doesn't heal others. No one can, but I do know this. I know and I believe that he can heal, and if he doesn't, I still believe it, without question. But here's what I do know. All of us who know Jesus Christ, all of us who profess him as our Savior and our Lord, all of us will be healed. Hear me. We live in a tension right now. It's the now but yet to come. Now but yet to come. Say it with me. Now but yet to come. He might heal you now, but if he doesn't, he will. Because when you die, you go absent from the body in the presence in the Lord, and he gives every one of us a glorified body, a brand new body. No more pain, no more disease, no more sickness. You have been glorified with him. Listen, listen to this. This is so important. Sin, death, and disease is not sovereign. They are not in control. Jesus Christ is. He has the last word for every Christian, for every one of us. He has the last word. Not cancer, not tumors, not Alzheimer's, not Parkinson's, not pain, not heart attacks, not a hospital room, not hospice, not death, nor sin. None of it has the last word. Jesus Christ has the last word, and he guarantees all of us who believe in him, I will heal you. I will heal you. When you see me face to face. Today, I'm going to give you an opportunity, though, to come no matter what you need and come and believe that God wants to do something special for you. I've explained four things, four ways that he that he heals, and one of them is he might not. But if you don't step out and say that you have a problem, then God won't do anything. He can't help you until you say, I need help. He won't do it. Hear me, let's say that I go into a pool and I just try to rescue this person, but the person doesn't think that they need to be rescued. If I jump in that pool and try to rescue them, guess what, I get arrested, right? They pull me out of that pool, what are you doing? But if that person knows that they need to be rescued and they're drowning, I jump in that pool, then that person's willing to allow me to help them. If you don't, if you sit there and say, no, no, I don't need any help, then God can't do anything. But if you're willing to say, Lord Jesus, I need help, he will meet you. In some way, he will meet you where you are. He never, never turns his back on anybody who says that they need help, ever. So we're gonna give you an opportunity. Brad's gonna lead you in a song. At the end of the song, again, if you don't need prayer at the end of the song, then you quietly and quickly leave. And when you go out to the cafe or the foyer, pray for those of us who stay. And those of you that need prayer, you stay right where you are. 
Once everybody's left, then we're going to continue some more worship, and I'm going to tell you what to do, okay? But don't miss this moment. Jesus is here, right here, right now.